Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. Look up in the sky today and it's pretty easy to spot a plane. In fact, since Wilbur and Orville Wright made their first successful flight in 1903, planes have been commonplace in our lives. But what if flying objects were seen not only around the country, but also right here in Quincy, well before the first flight ever took place? Learn about the 1897 airship mystery coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Back here for another edition of your favorite new podcast, Wild Quincy. And Travis, we uh, get this coming off our biggest episode ever with Ted Crowley. How crazy is that? People are burning up the downloads, Chris. It has been a massive episode People love the true crime. It seems to be the case, and we proved that with that episode. It's out there just performing like gangbusters, and the feedback alone has been incredible. Everyone seems to have either known Ted Crowley or has a story about someone they know who knew him, and we're hearing a lot, and I think we're going to circle back and talk about more of that stuff in the future in some capacity. We're kind of figuring out exactly what that looks like. Uh, I do have a couple kind of little tidbits that are almost like corrections, if you have a second. Yeah, sure. Let's go over them. If you remember, I was a little confused on how the timelines matched up for his son and how his son was born. It sounds like there's a, f- a possibility that his son Carl may not have been his actual son by blood and more of a kind of a raised him as his son, which would explain a lot of the discrepancy in the timeline there. And also on the note of Carl, it seems like I believe in the episode I mentioned, I thought he died in a car accident. Some other information has come to light that makes it seem like it might have actually been a suicide, sadly. Mm. So I appreciate those people that were able to give us some more information. And if you're sitting on a story about Ted Crowley or just anything that you heard, let us know because we would love to add it to the list of feedback we've received and circle back and just really help paint a picture of this guy that was such an infamous character in Quincy's past. Yeah, it, like uh, Travis said, we've had a ton of feedback already. By far the most feedback we've had on any single Wild Quincy episode to date. So thank you so much. And as he mentioned, uh, keep sending them our way. Uh, we would be more than interested to hear any of the stories. And uh, this is definitely going to be worth a, 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 a retrack through as we uh, head down the road because there is so much more information that's been revealed. And like I said in the episode, it's something that's never been done before. I, there's never been a... Uh, definitive story about Ted Crowley until now. So, so to have this out on the record and, and having people get back with us has been been really great. And and on on that note, of course, we have our Patreon episodes as well. Our last Patreon episode was filled with extra stuff that we just didn't have time to get to. Right, Travis? Yeah, a lot of a lot of stories that have been kind of gathered through social media. Uh, that existed before we even researched. So if you had a, want a little bit more from the Ted Crowley world, consider joining the Patreon. You'll hear a little bit more on how to do that in a minute. But, uh, you know, there's people that, that, that joined this week, Chris. Uh, one person I want to give a quick shout yeah. out to is Christina Lutz, who joined us. She became a wild thing at the $5 medium Jeff special level. We appreciate that. And we appreciate the support. If Real quick, piggybacking off the request for information, if you have some on Ted Crowley, quick ways to get a hold of us, please do. You can give us a, sh- a shout or a text at 612-669-453. 
That's 612-666-9453. Wild, if you freak it. And or you can also give us a give us a shout on the email, wildquincy at gmail.com, or hit us up on our socials. We, we're on top of that as well. And thanks again to everyone who has done that and those who are going to do that. We appreciate it greatly. Yeah, and if you did send us some information you haven't heard from us yet, don't fear. We got it. We just uh, yeah. are so have so much stuff right now going on uh, with uh, trying to get everything in line that we'll uh, make sure to get back to you as soon as possible. But we are pre- really appreciate all the feedback that we've uh, received so far. So, Travis, we go from our biggest episode, of course, our biggest category being crime, to our second biggest category in this episode, which is none other than unexplained. But before we get to that, we have a question of the day. Are you ready for okay. this? Okay. I've got a horrible record lately. Let's see what, <laughs> what if we can smear that or make a comeback here. All right. Well, this one's a little bit more general Quincy, but uh, we'll give it to you here. Obviously, Quincy is known as the Gym City, right? Uh, but sure. what was it referred to as before the Gym City? All right. I want to give you some options. Was it the Model City, the River City, the City on a Bluff, or was it always called the Gym City? Okay. Yeah. Um, I found a headline that I think might actually speak to that. Yeah. So if if it's what I of course I'm not I'm not going to pretend to be confident. I've done that in the past <laughs> and have gone down gone down like the Hindenburg in a horrible air talking about airship disasters. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we'll see what happens at the end of the episode and we circle back. Yeah. So again, the question today is this: Obviously, Quincy is known as the Gym City. What was it referred to as before? The Model City, the River City, the City on the Bluff, or always been the Gym City? Well, the answer for that question coming up at the end of this episode, but as mentioned it's time for some unexplained and we're going to go back to the 1800s and talk about a mysterious airship that coming up next here on wild quincy what you missed on the latest after hours episode of wild quincy another person confirmed this in the the thread the poodles were in the windows and when the poodles were faced one way i think it was towards each other that meant they were open for business and if the poodles were faced the other way that means they were closed so i don't know exactly what the orientation the poodles indicated but there was a, a definite meaning to that so we couldn't have the light. We couldn't have the red light turned too on Too obvious, anymore. Chris. Yeah, too, we had to think a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. The poodles, okay. the poodles, always the poodles. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Travis, it's time to start the unexplained episode of uh, the season of this one, and we're going to be talking about airships. I guess we should first start out by saying, how did we even get to this point? Do That's you a remember? good question. Um, do you? Because I'm a little, a little hazy. You know, I believe we we heard from 
our friend of the show, uh, Robert Turek, who had some articles. He had looked into this in the past. Robert, actually, a little little promo. He's got a great new Quincy from Above book on Amazon, a lot of pictorial stuff. Go check that out. But he has uh, taken to these articles that are circulating around the sky, being a, a drone guy himself. And this was one of the articles he forwarded and said, hey, you guys might want to look into this. And we did. And it took us a little while to get circle back to it, Chris, but we have done so, and we want to get into it tonight. Okay, well, let's do that. There, this is the thing, too. When we did this, I think it was a Patreon episode, and we were like, all right, well, here's a couple book options, and then I'm like, you take one, and I'll take one. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the name of the book real fast, yeah. just from, from reference material. Uh, the book I read, I think I got got off easy, was a smaller book, if memory serves. It's called The Great Airship of 1897, a provocative look at the most mysterious aviation event in history. And this was published in 2010. It's by J. Allen Danilk. And I'll, uh, we'll get some links on the blog to some relevant media, as well as links to these books, if you want to check it out as well. Uh, Chris, do you recall the book that you looked into? Well, I was hoping that you were going to stall for about another I knew you were pulling it up, I didn't know, but I, I tell you what, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what we're planning to do. Chris looked at this from a a holistic approach, from a timeline and some other ancillary information. I focused a little more on the Quincy encounter. It looks like you may have that book pulled up, Chris. What, what you got there? Uh, so I did the one, it's called Solving the 1897 Airship Mystery by Michael Busby. And Excellent. so that mine was significantly longer, I believe, than yours was. Um, so it took me a little bit through to get through it. But my the one that I researched in, in some of the information we're going to give you tonight comes from from that because it was more uh, lean towards the Texas area and most of the reports in the Texas area for that book. Uh, but um, it was kind of a nice base for us to 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 go right. off of. But yeah, so we had those two books. We both took one, and it was like, you know what? We need to probably knock this out and uh, finally talk about this uh, airship mystery because it does have Quincy implications, and those are the details we'll get to here in a little bit. But I think we'll just dive in because this is quite a long timeline, and 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 you know, for you unexplained people, especially if you have some some UFO background, some of the cool stuff that I come across, I didn't realize how significant it was to UFOlogy, if you will, uh, until I actually started looking at some of this research from back in this 1896, 1890s timeline so i'm kind of excited to get into it a little bit yeah there's a lot to unfold here uh this was not just one one or two incidents and uh i say jump in and let's let's get this ball rolling chris well i want to start with the timeline of, of all these reports obviously we want to do a little bit of a preface in saying that and we've said this multiple times god love 18 and night early 1900s newspaper reports however We've talked about this before, too. They're not always accurate, <laughs> okay? And that may play into one of the explanations when we're done here. Right. Yeah, you're right, 100%. Exactly. So uh, we're taking this with kind of a grain of salt because, you know, uh, you know, you got to fill those pages. There weren't pictures in 1896 and 1897 in, in the newspaper, so you had to fill with actual words and letters and stuff like that. So... But let's get into the details. We actually got to go back a little bit farther. The first ever known report that has ever been uh, put out there was all the way back to 1868 with the first mm. report. And then it was in Chile. Uh, it was described as a giant shining bird driven by a noisy motor. And that was in 1868. Okay. Okay. So about thirty years prior. Yeah. Okay. And so even up to that, uh, eighteen eighty, there was a, a report in Louisville, Kentucky, saw a flying object as a uh, said described as a man surrounded by machinery, which he seemed to be working with his hands. 
this uh, merely happened a month later with another report in New Jersey. New York Times reported it was apparently a man with bat wings and improved frog legs. Improved frog's leg. Oh, well, sure. They've gotten better, those frog legs. <laughs> R&D on frog legs was huge in the 1870s. Exactly. Uh, so those are your early reports. And then, of course, the big reports are coming in 1896, 1897. We only had really one report in 1896. That was some mysterious lights reappearing over Sacramento on the evening of November 21st of 1896 it was also seen over Folsom San Francisco Oakland Modesta and a few other cities in California as well um, the same evening uh, it was reported to be viewed by hundreds of witnesses and that there's some reports of it as the 17th there's some reports that actually happened over a few days uh, from the 17th to the 19th I've, yeah I've seen some reports that were like the 17th the 22nd 23rd it seemed to yeah. be almost in that week there was quite a few from around Sacramento to San Francisco Pedmont Def- definitely all in the California area, it's yeah, it looked like. Exactly. So that was uh, the only report. I, Travis, I don't know. Did you come across any other reports in 96? That was the only report I came across. Yeah. The the, seven, the 17th, there was, I think that was the first official of an airship that looked like egg-shaped craft with a downward-facing searchlight, a slow speed, low altitude, um, cigar shape. There, you hear that, and that becomes a theme on anything on ufology. Uh, but, yeah, this is what they were seeing. Uh, there was a horse trainer who saw it and said that it was such a low altitude they could actually hear a heated debate on board. The two, the what they assumed were pilots of this craft, were arguing over what altitude they should be at, and it seemed to be in English, which would indicate that maybe it was humans that mm. were at the helm here. Um, yeah, November twenty second again. I mean, we have reports not just from the the drunk on the street, <laughs> but this was a an on duty policeman in Sacramento. Uh, after the initial report, thousands came forward as well, backing it. So November 23rd, it seemed to be back in San Francisco. Even the mayor claimed to have seen it, or if not the mayor, one of his servants. There was a little back and forth in the newspapers. But yeah, I tell you what, Chris, this isn't just a one-off sighting by one or two people. This was pretty well documented, if you are to believe the reports in the paper, it right. seems like. And so, yeah, this was, again, that 1990, or 1896 time period. Uh, the next one I have is either February 1st or 2nd of yes. 1897. Uh, I saw dates for both. And this is coming out of the Omaha Bee. There was a report of an airship sighting over Hastings, Nebraska. So now we're kind of going to more of the central United States. And uh, that was the only report I had for February. Is that the only thing you saw? Yeah, it is. And I just want to uh, circle back for one second, because if you're if you're noting the, the lapse in reports, you're looking at approximately a three-month period where, for the most part, sightings completely dropped off. Um, That's going to change pretty soon here. (laughs) You're right. And then in 1897, things kick back up. I'll turn it back over to you, Chris, for what you have. But yeah. Well, the next one for me is about a month later in March 27th and 28th. uh, I found a report that Topeka, Kansas residents noted a mysterious object in the skies. One local farmer reported that something from above had lowered a grapple hook and snagged him and dragged him across before setting him down. That's that's a, a wild story. I, I I would think that may lean a little more to the invented stories if I had to be yeah. a betting man. But yeah, you're right. Kansas saw reports that it, a vessel lit up the night sky. The airship maneuvered ear, you know, very easily in a playful manner, uh, implying just a lot of technological advances from what dirigibles that existed in that time were able to do. Um, you know, I don't know how much we talked about it, but dirigibles were a thing at this point, but the 
an actually practical dirigible airship that could take care of itself in in less than ideal conditions of wind and everything was a technology they didn't think existed at this point. And we'll get to that in detail here a little bit right, uh, right. so we can give you the kind of the timeline of that too because that was one of the big questions I had going into this because obviously we know about, you know, the Wright brothers and all that stuff, but I mean, obviously uh, unless you're a history ma- major, you probably don't remember when exactly that happened, uh, like I had to right. check. Uh, right. But so we'll go through that in detail because when I was re- reviewing this, I was like, okay, well, maybe some of this makes sense, but then we'll take a look why it doesn't here in a minute. Uh, when we get into April, in the beginning of April, this is when it gets crazy, okay? Yes. Uh, I have the first report, and I, I we can you can kind of fill in the blanks afterwards. We'll yeah, go through yeah. all these first. Uh, April 5th is the first report. Actually, in Nashville, Illinois, I have, is the first report uh, that we have in April. Uh, not really anything to report, except that they saw it in the city. Uh, on April 8th, uh, appeared in Dixon, Rock. Island in Sterling, Illinois. So a couple reports in, in Illinois here. April 9th, mysterious UFO was observed flying above Chicago. Uh, a large crowd of uh, people gathered on the north side of Chicago and watched and described as what various witnesses said were a red light, a manifestation, or an airship. Eventually, thousands of people saw the mysterious airship in Chicago. And later that evening, sightings were also reported in Evanston, Illinois, as well in its parts of Wisconsin, and uh, the creating the impression that a single mysterious object was traveling in a northwesterly direction. The book that I read, Travis... Uh, he went into great detail about these Texas reports in the directions and was able to actually chart them out on a map. And, and there was times where there were multiple reports going on at the same time. So it was suggesting there was more than one of these that was going across right. the sky at the same we'll, time. We'll revisit that theme too yeah. later on. Yeah. So uh, next one I have, again, It's uh, that was 5th, 8th, and 9th. We go to one more day later. April 10th, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported a story of that a one W.H. Hopkins encountered a grounded airship about 20 feet in length and 8 feet in diameter in the outskirts of Springfield, Missouri. Uh, the vehicle was apparently propelled by three large propellers and crewed by... Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know where you're going. This is a good... Yeah. This is juicy. Yeah. It's crewed by a beautiful nude woman... And a bearded man who was also nude. Uh, Hopkins attempted with some difficulty to communicate with the crew in order to ascertain their origins. Eventually, they understood what Hopkins was asking of them, and they both pointed to the sky and utteredly something that sounded like the word Mars was recorded. Yes. You've not lived until you felt the cool, refreshing air <laughs> on your nude body while cruising uh, several hundred feet above the earth in your magical airship. There's just a high that no other earthly uh, experience can provide. Exactly. So, uh, I would say, if I was a betting man, I would say that might have been an invented story. But my God, what a great story <laughs> exactly. that one was on April 10th. That took yeah. some that took some some creative thinking to come up with that story, for sure. Also, that same night, by the way, on April 10th, there was multiple sightings that occurred across Michigan as well. So it was happening in a couple different states, Missouri and Michigan that night. Okay. Illinois as well will come. Okay. Okay. Uh, April 11th uh, over Milwaukee. There were some strange lights in the sky as a mysterious object passed over the city that night. Uh, one officer reported, uh, it was a police officer reported seeing the airship while standing on Broadway. He described the airship as looking like four bright stars put together. It flashed with colors of white, red, and green. He claimed that the craft dipped and bobbed wildly several times before it sped off towards the Northwest and disappeared from view. Um, so there's a report coming out of, uh, out of Milwaukee for that one. Okay. 
Uh, next night on April 12th, Vernon, Kansas had a reported sighting. Then uh, April 13th uh, was a kind of an important one. Uh, ship sighted in Illinois. I think we'll talk probably a little bit more about that time period a little bit more in detail, so I won't go into it here. Uh, and then April 15th, a few days later, there was 12 airship sightings over Texas that night. 12 sightings in Texas. Uh, also in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there was reports that an airship had crashed and exploded they declared, uh, of course, this is quotes here. They declared the report to have been like the that's of a heavy ordinance and to have been immediately succeeded by a distant sound of projectiles flying through the air, according to the newspaper reports. So we have our first potential, um, you know, uh, accident that happened with right. these things. Right. Uh, April 16th, 34 sightings in the state of Texas coming out of that book I told you about. That happened that night. Also, a um, story published by the Table Rock Argus claimed that a group of anonymous but reliable witnesses had seen an airship sailing overhead. The craft had many passengers. Witnesses claimed that among these passengers was a woman tied to a chair. <laughs> a woman that was attending to her and a man with a pistol guarding the apparent prisoner. <laughs> Before Lots the, of stories. It says here, before the witnesses thought to, to contact the authorities, of course, the ship was already gone. Uh, also, uh, in Waterloo, Iowa, on this night as well, on April 16th, which we have a picture of this. We'll probably put on our face, our, uh, on our uh, website. Uh, but a ship constructed of canvas and wood and fitted out of uh, compressors and generators, according to the report, uh, was, attending, uh, was attended by several operators who told the townspeople that they had come from San Francisco. 5,000 Iowans surrounded the machine at one point in time, but the men forbade them from inspecting the machinery, and at any attempt to cross the roped fence was met with an order to stay out. So a little okay. bit different of a story there in Waterloo. And Iowa has some significance, and I don't know if we'll get into that, but uh, uh, some interesting stuff coming out of Iowa about all this. Uh, just a few more here. April 17th, again the next day, we're talking... Every single day, there's a report in this uh, first few weeks of April. On April 17th, 17 reported sightings in the state of Texas. Uh, this night was also, this is probably one of the craziest. And if you are into UFO um, folklore, history, whatever you want to call it, this date has some significance. April 17th of 1897. This is the night of the reported Aurora, Texas UFO incident. Travis, I actually had to watch... Uh, there was a UFO Hunters episode on YouTube I watched specifically about this. You're shaking your head. You've seen that, too. I'm aware. Of, I, I I think I've seen it, but I, I read more of the accounts recently in, in research. But go, yeah, yeah, tell them about this. So, this is wild. Uh, the, it's, long story short, uh, what ended up happening was that back in this night, April 17th of 1897, uh, a UFO crashed near Aurora, and it resulted in the death of an extraterrestrial pilot. Supposedly, the alien was buried in the Aurora Cemetery. Okay. Uh, it says here in the report, the craft suddenly appeared over Aurora about 6 a.m. local time. It was much nearer to the earth than ever before. And evidently some of the machinery was out of order because what ended up happening was that the UFO, if you will, hit uh, the uh, Judge Proctor's windmill and it ended up uh, landing on the ground uh, it was a really bad explosion and then when they went to go check it out they found the pilot that was in there and uh, listen to this it says examination of his remains indicated that quote he was not an inhabitant of this world 
That was in the quote in the paper. Right. They had a funeral that was on April 20th about it. A, Christ, a Christian burial. Was it really? Well, because that it seems right. was a Christian right. burial. Um, Absolutely. Hard to text. Papers found on his body were crash in the crash, after the crash, I should say. It had some sort of hieroglyphics in it, uh, so they weren't really able to read it, but he had writings on him and had papers on him. And uh, they said that they were not sure about what kind of metal the ship actually was made of. So, uh, again, the, the body is buried and supposedly of course if you watch that ufo hunters they can't obviously do any sort of excavation there but they did see that uh, the spot where supposedly this guy was at with where the markers at which is no longer there they ran some gpr over the top of it ended up seeing that there is still some sort of collapsed casket in that spot where he was at so it does show that it is probably some sort of body there but who knows if it's what it is also on the ufo hunters um episode they there the what they ended up doing i guess i didn't explain this was that the ufo had i don't know what the deal was but they decided to bury it in a well and then cover the well up right. Right. uh yeah. so the ufo hunter show got permission from the landowner to actually lift up this building that was on top of the well they took some stuff out of it uh, they never reported what the results were of it uh but uh yeah there was evidence at the well that you could see the original arms in the ground of the windmill that was there so it's possible that there was a windmill um of course what we're talking about with these airships who knows what the legitimacy of what it was or if it was just something human made or whatever but again one of the biggest stories uh in ufo history uh short of roswell this is probably the second biggest story you can you can consider in ufo um you know myth if you will so yeah definitely a precursor to to what happened yeah. there and roswell still roswell. 40 yeah. years away yeah so that was april 17th april 18th there was nine reported sightings in texas on the 19th there were 17 reported sightings in texas also one in louis the state of louisiana april 20th there were four reported sightings in texas uh one of uh, one may wonder why there were so few in texas that night that was according to this uh, book i read apparently the airships were seen in louisiana and colorado that night um so evidently if those guys that were sticking around texas thought they were gonna do some some sightseeing and head to the colorado Colorado and Louisiana. April 21st, couple sightings again in Texas. Things start to slow down, however, uh, once you get into the 20th and past that. Uh, tw- on the 22nd, there were seven reports. 23rd, six reports. Then we go five reports, 24th, or one report on the 25th, and two reports on the 26th. However, uh, things really slow down and pretty much stop after that. I don't know if, and there was a discussion in the book about, you know, after a while, newspapers get bored of talking about stuff, so they just stop talking about it. So we don't know if it still happened, but we just don't have proof in the newspapers at this point in time. Either way, you'd stop seeing reports in newspapers uh, that's, that happened. However, we go to May 6th. I'm down to my last two here, Travis. Uh, we go to May 6th, and uh, an alleged incident took place on this day in 1897 in the, I want to say, hope I say this right, the Quachita Mountains near Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, I was able to find this in an Arkansas State's uh, website. It says that, as the story goes, uh, this Constable Sumter and his deputy were investigating reports of cattle rustling near the community of Jesseville when they came across an unexpected sight. The two men were riding northwest and they saw a bright light in the sky. The light appeared uh, behind the hilltops and the, disappeared. The men continued to ride. A few miles later, they saw it again. This time was much closer. And uh, once it disappeared uh, the second time, 
They a few miles down the road again, they saw it again, but this time uh, it was actually on the ground, and so they were able to get up to it and uh, find out what was going on. They drew their weapons and approached to investigate. They yelled at the people and said, uh, show themselves. These two uh, lawmen were startled with a man with a beard. Huh approaching a hole and holding a lantern and announcing that him and two other companions were traveling the country in an airship. This guy ended up showing the guys this uh, unusual craft said it was a cigar shaped. There you go again, 60 feet long mysterious man tried to coax them to board the craft, but of course they're not going to go on that. That that wouldn't be a good idea. He probably had candy. (laughs) That's 1897's version. Like a really, a really band. predecessor to a Werther, Werther's original. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no trade. Kemba, I travel on my magical airship. It's <laughs> water. Um, there might be naked women. The uh, <laughs> ship ended up taking off. Uh, the guys took off. They decided to come back later, and they found no traces of the airship or its occupants. So that happened in May six in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Then finally, the last report. And I don't have anything to go on with it with uh, any sort of reports. Just that uh, the last known report was in nineteen. 19- 23 in Houston, Texas. So there was another airship reporting in Houston, Texas. But yeah, at that point, at that point, a lot had happened. Yeah, a lot of things are changing. And now you might be thinking it might be more so, you know, something maybe more out of this world. Again, that is just a pre preliminary cursor of the reports that I went through. Travis, I know that I went through those kind of fast. Was there any that uh, you missed? Well, I mean, there's I so missed. many. I think at the end of the day, there are so there. I think there's over a thousand. 500 articles that were known about in that time span that covered this kind of flap of, of airships in 1896, 1897. So there's multiple things out there. I think that's a pretty good sampling of what's out there. But um, this is not wild United States. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. It's not. Although it proved to be pretty wild in 1896, 1897. Right. This, as you know, is wild Quincy. Get to the point, I hear them saying. <laughs> well, we have arrived at that point. We are talking about uh, the how Quincy fits into this puzzle. As this airship is looming over the Midwest, hitting all the high notes... Quincy had its first encounter. Leading up to April 10th, the newspapers were abuzz reporting on the air the airships traveling through Nebraska, through Iowa, and there was almost a sense of anticipation that we would see this. And that wishful thinking came to fruition at 11 p.m. on Saturday, April 10th, 1897. Now, What happened is the airship approached from the north and followed the path of the river down. And this article was was pretty detailed, which I appreciate. Um, It said that the the night sky was perfectly clear. There were no clouds and there was half a moon. So we're talking about perfect conditions for seeing something. Full moon would have been ideal, but still you're going to see a lot. So hundreds of people who were on the streets, which at 11 p.m. on Saturday, I guess there was a lot buzzing around, uh, they gave remarkably similar reports of this airship. Let's start with the path through Quincy. So it was first seen by men on the levee over the river just north of the city heading south, just uh, by the train bridge. And they first noticed the bright white light believed to be a searchlight on either and on either side of this bright searchlight there appeared to be a green and red light the men at first thought it was a steamship coming down the river 
However, the proximity to the, sh- the Illinois shore didn't seem to add up. However, it's interesting because the same lights, the searchlight, that was pretty typical in those steamships, as well as a red and green light. So a strange con- kind of carryover to existing technologies that uh, that people knew of from ships. Is this starting to sound like the Levee Walker? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't gone there. I have other thoughts about that. We'll get to. Um, so what happened is, as it reached approximately Riverview Park, it rose slightly and headed in an easterly direction about a mile into Quincy. At that point, it started to circle south. After reaching a point over South Park, it swung around a little bit, and the light from the head searchlight seemed to stream up a little bit, kind of in a waving manner. The airship came to rest at approximately uh, 8th Street by South Park, and it, it traveled maybe a half mile, like I said, out of South Park on 8th Street when it came to that stop. After seeming to see the, the searchlight swirl up and down a few times, they, people from the ground then observed small, the smaller lights. They whirred about for a couple seconds, and this is while the airship's at a stop. The airship then suddenly reversed course and turned south again and uh, took off at what was described as a tremendous speed and was completely out of sight in a few minutes. Hmm. So here you have this airship coming into Quincy from the north, doing a lap, basically, a semicircle uh, down to the South Park area, coming to a stop, turning south, and, like, zooming out of here. Hmm. So the description of the ship, as was told in a lot of similar accounts, is that it floated at a low altitude. Some people speculated it was between 400 and 500 feet above ground. Given the clear night sky with a half moon, there was a pretty good silhouette visible of this airship. How big it did descri- you say it was? Uh, it, well, it was about 400 to 500 feet above the ground. Okay. We'll get to the okay. estimated okay. size Sorry. in a minute. Yeah, I'm getting into it right now, as a matter of fact. Described by multiple people as having a long, slender body, like a cigar. We hear that all the time. It was made of made up of what seemed to be a bright metal, perhaps aluminum, from which the moonlight seemed to be reflecting. On either side of the main cigar-shaped hole protruded wings. Above the hole could be seen the outline of some sort of superstructure, which is probably a balloon, the, the balloon in question. Um, to the, let's see, about halfway back on the hole, there was a green light on the right-hand starboard side and a red light on the left-hand port side. And this arrangement of lights wasn't entirely, like I said, unlike that that would have been seen on a steamship of the days. So there seemed to be a little apples to apples in those comparison. Again, people said they heard voices coming from the airship. It was low enough that they could audibly hear things. Witnesses believe there to be three men aboard the ship. Judging by the way that certain lights were manipulated and just the overall understanding of how the craft, I'm not sure exactly how they got to that number three, but that is not the only time the number of three comes up when it, in regards mm-hmm. to the sightings of airship. Uh, there were disputes on the overall size of the airship. One said that it appeared to be 70 foot long. Another thought it was about 50 foot long. So you're looking somewhere between 50 and 70. That seems like an acceptable range of estimation, not too crazy out of out of whack with each other. Uh, many people noted that the airship moved in an extremely controlled, predictable manner, as if it was very easily maneuvered. Um, some claimed that it made a whirring sound as it passed overhead. Um, let's see. Here's a little interesting uh, con- contextual sighting that correlates to our Quincy sighting. 
early in the night, if you remember, it was about 11 p.m. when this thing came in from the north following the path of the river. At approximately less than an hour, I guess, less than an hour early, or the same type of airship was seen in Jacksonville. So we can do some math here. Earlier? Earlier, okay. around 10 o'clock. The reports in Jacksonville put the airship leaving the city heading west. The tra- trajectory of the exit of the airship from the Jacksonville area would suggest that this airship departed from Jacksonville and made its way to the Mississippi River, where it turned allegedly south and came down towards Quincy. Mm. So it's approximately, uh, what, like 50 miles from Quincy to Jacksonville, eh, thereabouts? Yeah. So this is a tremendous speed for the time. If it's believed to be the same thing, you're talking speeds, you know, approximately between 60 and 70 miles an hour to make it in that window. Hmm. So that's that's pretty impressive. This is all the April 10th. There are two more, a lot less catalog sightings that happened. The second one being Thursday, April 16th, 1897. George Lane and Theodore uh, Turwich. Tur- Tur- that's a fun last name here. Turwish, we'll say, allegedly saw the airship. It was said to come down the river again from the north. They alleged that it rose slightly to avoid colliding with the railroad bridge. As it reached the foot, roughly about the foot of Main Street along the river, it turned west and disappeared over Missouri. The, the newspaper article goes on to say that both men's credibility and reputation were outstanding. The airship was also noticed by Dr. R.A. Gardner, who observed it through a pair of opera glasses the same night. He was unable to make out a lot of the great detail other than the white searchlight and the red light, which I like the idea that if you're seeing the red or green light, that might give some context as to what direction this airship might be going if it's not completely obvious. So one more report that's uh, interesting. Uh, April 21st, 1897. A Wabash passenger train, which arrived in Quincy at about 10 p.m., told of seeing the airship while en route to Quincy. It was first seen near Perry Spring, Illinois, which is roughly 52 miles uh, east of Quincy. Uh, Though this airship remained about a half a mile away from the train, it maintained a parallel path, almost as if it was racing the train. Uh, they reported people on the train reported seeing the same bright light, the conductor included among these people, and a red light. Uh, the red light seemed to have periods of visible or invisibility. Either it was on or off, or something was obscuring it at certain times. Not sure exactly what that means in the grand scheme of things, but an interesting detail. It appeared to travel at somewhat of a consistent, wavy up and down pattern. Uh, kind of a motion varying in altitude from an estimated 200 to 700 feet. The airship seemed to be racing with the train, as I said. Uh, it had no trouble keeping up with the train, and the train was going at approximately 40 miles per hour. Uh, as the train stopped in a Versailles, I really know, never know how to pronounce the name of that town. Versailles? Uh, the air, Versailles, that's the there one. Uh, at any rate, the the airship seemed to stop along with the train. Which at first, that kind of sent alarm bells to me thinking, okay, is this a, a, a star or something in the sky they're seeing? Because if they stop and it stops, that's a little odd. However, as it got going again, this, this airship seemed to follow suit. And it wasn't too long after that initial stop in Versailles that the airship all of a sudden took off and just shot forward in front of the train at a great speed, soon disappearing from sight. Uh, that same night, the local Anheuser-Busch office on Front Street reported seeing a large, strange light hovering above the Missouri shore near the bridge. 
Um, it was far enough away they didn't see a, ver- a actual visual confirmation that it was the airship, but assumed that the light they were seeing was the same searchlight that was emanating. So that, in a nutshell, or maybe a larger nutshell, is the activity of the airship within Quincy. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, again, it's you hear all these reports throughout the whole country, and yet we see this happening in Quincy, and. Um, We're going to swing back around to this in a second, but I do find it interesting that the airship was coming from the north, uh, from north towards Quincy, because I mentioned earlier, Keokuk in in Iowa in in particular has some significance that hopefully we'll talk about. But, you know, Travis, I, I put all this in perspective, like I said. I wait, went through all the reports, and then I went, wait a minute, when did this stuff all happen? Like, when did yeah. we get into the air, right? Yeah, give us some context yeah. historically for man and flight and what we were capable of and what maybe connotations we can draw from what the activity yeah. of this alleged airship. Well, give us the, the accepted reality of history in aviation. Yeah, this, this is the here. real stuff here. This is when it happened, right. you know, without right. a doubt. So we actually have to go all the way back to 1783 or 1784. It depends on who you ask, I guess, evidently. Um, that was when the first hot air balloon was ever launched. Okay, so this is 100 years before. In the eighteen in eighteen fifty specifically, Frenchman Pierre Julian demonstrated a cigar-shaped model airship at a Paris hippodrome. The airship rudders, elevators, and gondola were mounted under the front of the part of the balloon. The clockwork motor that drove two air screw mounted on either side of the center line of propeller propelled the airship. And there was a light wire frame that stiffened by trusses maintaining a bag's form. And this was something that happened in eighteen fifty. Okay. Cigar shape, go figure. Uh, 1852 was the official first ever flight of a steam-powered airship. In 1884, the first airship of it, uh, to return to its starting point happened. Okay, uh, This motor drove a four-bladed wooden tractor propelled with a 23 feet uh, diameter. Um, I believe those would be wings. The airship also had rudders and elevator, and uh, it traveled for five miles, and it took 23 minutes to make the round-trip flight. 1895, so this is getting more in our neck of the woods. Most people are not aware about this, but a native of Tennessee by the name of Arthur Wallace Bernard created a flying machine, and uh, he actually flew it across Lewistown, Tennessee, just prior to a fair that was happening in Nashville. They actually called the machine the the Sky Cycle. The Sky Cycle. Mm, It's got a fun ring to it. Yeah, Yeah. so so that was uh, back in 1895. Then on uh, 1903, this is getting a little bit more into our wheelhouse of what we understand of flights, and that is none other than the Wright brothers flying their first plane at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They made a 12-second flight and traveled about 120 feet. And then um, to kind of wrap things up and get you a little bit more perspective, in 1915, the U.S. Oh, and I missed two things 1895 kind of track backtrack here the zeppelin was patented in germany in 1899 the zeppelin was patented in the united states right okay uh last piece of the puzzle as i was mentioning before 1915 the u.s navy launched its first lighter than air program and they had their first dirigible by 1919 so the u.s government had their first uh flying whatever you want to call it, dirigible or, or balloon Zeppelin in 1919. So again, 
there's some things that kind of fall into place. And I think the one that maybe is the most interesting is that 1850. So you're looking at 40 years before it happens in the United States with this uh, cigar shaped airship that was, uh, was made by the Frenchman Pierre Julian. So, um, that's kind of a look. What, what do you think, Travis? Uh, yeah, if I can pepper in one more yeah, date that's pretty relevant for Quincy, is in 1909, our our Quincy and buddy Thomas Scott Baldwin mm. was actually was contracted, I believe, uh, by the military. It was the first one to receive a contract for airship uh, production, dirigible construction. He's often considered the father of the modern dirigible. Um, I believe that was in 1909. And I believe the he tested his uh, – he displayed the, the actual – I believe it was called the California Arrow, going from memory here, and it was a pretty, pretty, you know, capable machine. Um, which is interesting that given given that 1909 is when Baldwin, I believe, either demonstrated or was awarded the contract from the military. Um, you look at you know little more than 10 years ago in Quincy, you see this sighting, and I think a lot of people are quick to make the assumption: what if he had something to do with this? I don't think that's the case personally, and we'll, we can talk about that later. But I wanted, wanted to get a little local boy news. In yeah, there. I, I completely kind of failed to mention uh, Thomas Baldwin and all that. So yeah, definitely something we want to want to include in that. But you know, if we want to really get down to the nitty and gritty, and I think the one that really caught me, like of trying to figure this out, was going back to when were the Wright brothers? When did the Wright brothers actually do it? And right. this was, you know, we're looking at 1897. The Wright brothers did theirs uh, flying in 1903, and it was very primitive it was not to where we were at in 1897 however you know you take a look at when the zeppelin was actually patented in germany in 1895 and even in 1895 with this uh, guy in tennessee creating a flying machine it wasn't like it was unheard of to have people in the air back in this day but you come to the story and i guess this is where we kind of take our history hats off and put on our tinfoil hats okay or speculation yeah, yeah let's call it speculation yeah. so so Let's have a discussion about this. And, and, and the first thing and the one thing, obviously, we, we see a consistency of cigar shaped. Uh, we see a consistency even in your report that you said that it was like 50 to 70 feet, maybe, maybe somewhere right. in that range. Right. I saw many reports that were saying that, um, you know, I saw um, some that even said it was 150 to 200 feet long. Um so there's a lot of different things like that. But the one thing that really sticks out to me and the one thing that I have a big problem with, and I don't know if anybody else caught this, is, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit, is the lights. Mm-hmm. Is the green, red, and white light. Okay, That is obviously a very common thing today in planes uh it's yes. you know if you see another one like that you know what direction to go you know if you're a pilot um things like that you see that on the river as well i didn't consider the river part it so you you were able to catch that uh river boats were already using that light system in that time frame yeah okay so my question is and my thought is are we really worried that there's other airships in the air that we have to have these lights <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, who knows why that's the case? Maybe there was more of a practical reason. You know, let's 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 not get too honed in on those minor details. Let's let's paint with some broader strokes okay. here, Chris. You you've digested this information. Um, there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of conjecture. 
Can we can we agree that there are maybe three or four theories here as to what was going on? Let's 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 talk there and figure out where we land personally. Um, do you, I'd say want me to rattle off a few here? Yeah, why don't you start? Okay, well, I think it's it's pretty well assumed that there's a couple theories of what's going on here. The most uh, the most I, I the theory I don't really subscribe to is some people think these are extra extraterrestrials martians if you will i i don't i don't think that's the case i don't i don't see this as being people from another or beings from another planet i think whatever was in the sky if there was anything was emanating from this planet earth i'm gonna stop you right there okay i agree with you to an extent okay okay where do you deviate from that i think that there when you have a lot of when you have an interest of people wanting to look to the sky because they have a reason to look to the sky now because they're seeing all these reports okay i think in some aspects yes there it's probably something human somebody is doing this but that's the reason why people are looking as they are looking up all of a sudden sure. other things are happening and then you have an incident like aurora texas where you have something maybe a little bit more than just a normal or it could just be a complete... I know you're shaking your head. It could be just a completely made-up story. I'm just saying, when you have people starting to look up, it could create other things. Now, do I get behind that idea? No, I don't really think it was UFOs. But I want to throw that as a possibility. You could have had yeah. some reports that were kind of yeah. unique that weren't yeah, these airships. I, I think there were a lot of things lumped into reports of an airship that may have been an odd lights in the sky, which was not a planet or was not a star, and who knows what yeah. it was. But if you if you classify these as as reports that seem to fit a certain uh, similarities, I think I think you know obviously extraterrestrial would be one view. Yeah. One one opinion is that it was a man made structure and it was some kind of advanced design that was being tested. Um, and there's we'll, we'll, we can get into this a little bit. Yeah. The book the book I the book I read was an interesting approach because it t- it looked at the facts. Of okay, let's let's presuppose a few things here. When the actual airships were well documented in history as being able to perform the feats or similar feats as this mysterious airship of the late 1800s, the same components that existed then existed in 1896 and 1897. Which is to say, a lot of people want to say, who was this wild inventor who put this thing together? Well, that might not be the case. Because it's possible that there was not an invention involved. It was engineering that was involved. There could all, there was probably, if this thing was real, there was probably a money source. There was probably some kind of organization that was financially backing this. And they could have had a team, a small team of engineers who maybe had some drastic approaches and efficiencies to maybe make some of these feats possible, which honestly, that's a bit of a stretch. I'll, I'll give you that. These speeds we're talking about are something crazy in this time frame. Yeah. Um, well, and then another one is, is yellow journalism real quick. Yeah. I'll let you let me get to your point is, is was anything happening? Was this just a bunch of hooey that's getting thrown around to sell which newspapers? Which is what we talked about at the beginning, right? Yeah. Huge, huge yellow journalism battles in, in distribution were happening. These reports parallel, for the most part, the railroad lines. Yeah. And that is also where the telegraph lines, where news was passed from one point to another. There's some theories that maybe it was a conspiracy of hoaxing. 
done by in in collaboration with the telegraph operators. I actually, you see the news move west to east. My my the book I read actually thought it may have been the railroad workers that were creating the hoax. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in that same wheel wheelhouse as well. I want to go back to what you were saying just a minute ago. That if somebody was creating this and testing them out, the book that I read had a very good point. I'm just going to read what what, what yeah. he said. Yeah. He says, if a majority's uh, uh, suppose that that was correct and that this is a human doing this and it was something that a human built, why didn't the inventor step forward publicly, publicly announcing their success and celebrating the initiation of new technology that the rest of the world could notice? If the airships were human inventions, why wasn't the technology pursued to logical conclusions the initiation of mass air transportation by 1900? Sure. Why didn't they? That's why didn't they say it? I mean, that's a money that's maker. A why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you telling everybody in the world that you just created, you know, flight in the air? Well, I think there's a couple reasons, and and this is a little speculation, and this is a little bit of stories I heard from from reading and speculation in the book I read. Perhaps the actual patents that were required to to ensure their technological advances, which may have happened to develop this thing, weren't official yet. There, the theory from this book's perspective is this: there's the reason this was flown at night. One one of the main reasons being secrecy. You know, there's a lot less people going to see as great detail of what's happening above them. But a second one was potentially a very scientific reason, and that has to do with hydrogen. Um, these these airships were most of them that I'm aware of were inflated with hydrogen. Hydrogen is notoriously unstable. And in the light of day, when hydrogen is heated up, it becomes less stable. So if you look at the sun mm. hitting, uh, hitting a big hydrogen-filled bag, you have a lot more potential for a catastrophic event in those conditions. And for the most part, and you can probably dispute this in some cases, the conditions at night can yeah. be a little more calmer wind-wise, well, too. It all, and I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even considered that, is that almost... I would say 90% of the reports are night reports. There's very, very few day reports that happen. Chicago is the only one that I'm aware of. There's a few in Texas. Actually, okay. Yep. Yeah. So they actually got a picture in Chicago. Did you know that? Oh, no. But what happened is in their attempt to either get it ready or duplicate it, uh, before that, they had the artist on the newspaper sketch it, and then when they were going to verify the validity of this picture, they accidentally destroyed it in the process. Oh, no. <laughs> so the only thing that remained was a ske- a very rudimentary sketch of it above, oh, wow. high above Chicago. So there's not a lot, so you can Google it. But uh, yeah, it's not a lot to go on from a daylight perspective on these reports. So there is one thing that I haven't addressed yet, and that is I haven't even told you what my theory actually I'm is. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, You've teased this for a week now. So, and it's crazy. And Travis and I were just having a discussion about something else, and I have become more and more over the years less like, you know, head in the clouds, you know, the sky is falling kind of person and kind of, kind of come to earth a little bit more, I guess. But... When I first read these reports, and it talked about a green light, a red light, and a white light that I mentioned, it talked about having these windows in the side that uh, you know you look like it was light coming out of, or there was some sort of some sort of light, maybe maybe as a window. And then you hear about these these things having wings and having these long two hundred foot wings. You want to guess where my thought went, Travis? I I don't know where where did it go. My thought went to. 
what about planes that have gone missing that went into a <laughs> wow. parallel timeline or okay. like into into the You're past, some like time travel, triangle like stuff, time travel stuff. Why would why would there be in there? I I have multiple. I saved multiple things in multiple newspaper accounts about how the length of the wingspan from tip to tip was upwards of two hundred feet. Huge wingspans. Yeah. And when yeah. I read this, I thought to myself, why the hell are we seeing what looks like airliners in eighteen ninety seven? Interesting. And I know this is wild, and and I. I Again, after reading more today and uh, making sure getting all my research put together, I started kind of fading away from that idea. I'm thinking it was probably more Chris, realistic. We're all, but we're all friends here. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> we're not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. I'm you. just going to make this phone call real quick. Um, <laughs> no, don't pay attention. It's fine. Uh, it's nobody you know. Uh, so okay, you're thinking there's some kind of weird time. Uh, yeah, time I, that's maybe. what I felt like. I I kind oh. of feel like you know we had the Malaysia flight. I know that's a, still a big story. We're not sure exactly what happened to that. You know, there's a great show out right now. I know this is fiction, but uh, you know, um, what's that one with the the airliner that ends up going missing for five years and then the people come back? Um, you know, the stuff like this happens, like where we've completely lost whole amounts of people. People and time's been missing. There's stories about time missing and airplanes and stuff like that. I know it's crazy. I don't even necessarily believe it after my research, but my first initial thought was, holy crap, we've we've stumbled into some sort of time time warp thing. You know, I, I you teased a crazy theory, and I certainly did not <laughs> go there. Didn't like it's it. interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I'm you know, I'm not gonna poo-poo any ideas. Um, I think the sheer reality is no one's gonna no. know. No one is ever gonna know. But exactly let's let's. I want to add here. one other thing. Let's take a look yeah. at what's happening in today's world. We obviously know that we have Area Fifty One. They talk about that there's these weird ships and weird planes that are coming out of there. That's where the B fifty two came out of, um, or the bomber, I should say, the the the, the you know the one that doesn't have can't be seen on the radar. Stealth, stealth, yeah. stealth wing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are the ones that are coming out of there. Who's to say that we haven't had eighteen nine? 90s uh, military activity that was also working towards that. You've just set me up for my theory. <laughs> Good. <Chris. laughs> and it's funny because I, I believe that in the book I read was heavily going down the hypothetical road. Would it be possible for someone utilizing the technology they had access to at the time to create a workable airship? And that book pretty, pretty well said, yes, it could have happened. Theoretically, the biggest issues that that book uh, that book proposed the idea that this was started this was probably created somewhere in California maybe in in uh, the 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 valley there and it was first tested there and then it was actually dismantled and possibly the investor whoever was financing this they they shipped it on the railway across the Rockies and it took about three months you'll notice that gap in time span between the sightings reset up shop but the biggest problem with that is hydrogen was not super available there was a process that was well known how to extract uh hydrogen from water heating heating and electrifying water but to be able to do it at such a scale and remain under the radar is quite a feat which was admitted in that book and that makes a lot of sense but if you think of this this airship actually having a support team as well that was on the ground that could tend to issues it you know, it's that's how the circus went from one place to another. They used the railroad system. The fact that this airship followed a similar trajectory across the country as the railroad system, 
I think there's a lot of that was used navigationally speaking, using bodies of water, as well as a railroad system for a, a way to get from point A to point B. That makes a lot of sense to me. The speed of this craft and the hydrogen availability to maintain the secrecy in doing so seems to be the biggest chink in the armor from that perspective. However, you talked about the military, right? Right. Well, I don't know how much you got into this, but in this same time period, this was right when we're coming to a boiling point in the Spanish-American War, Hmm. Chris. And tension was was happening. I didn't know a lot about the Spanish-American War, admittedly. But essentially, in in a nutshell, it involved Cuba looking to gain its independence from Spain. And the United States was backing Cuba at this point, trying to help it gain its independence. There was a lot of uh, thought about this would come to war. So this is this is all about my, just my theory at this point. Okay, so if America was going to support Cuba, warfare in and around water seemed unavoidable, right? Mm-hmm. The distance from the southern tip of Florida to Cuba is roughly ninety miles. The distance across Lake Michigan from Illinois into Michigan is roughly 118 miles. If this was a black ops military sourced project, I can't imagine a more ideal situation playing out here. Let's build it in California. Let's get the core operational abilities nailed down in this area. Once we're happy with the performance, Let's take it into another part of the country where we can recreate different conditions that would mimic an ability to go over bodies of water. Hmm. This, these reports didn't go much more east than Michigan. And you'll notice that the reports around Texas in the proximity to the Gulf of Mexico, as well as the reports in Wisconsin, Michigan, perhaps there was test flights happening across bodies of water to see if any kind of lake effect weather patterns might have an issue at how they could fare in this. Hmm. Um, could there have been multiple airships? I have a hard time believing that if the military was going to invest in a technology like this, they weren't going to have multiple operational units at one time. That would explain the big discrepancy in sightings over large amounts of time. The government and the military could have easily funded you know, rail transportation to get this thing from point A to point B in a relatively secret manner. In a lot of these reports, even the ones you talked about, there almost seems to be implications of a perimeter being set up around a down, not necessarily downed as a crash, but downed for maintenance of some kind, some kind of a perimeter, some kind of a line. What greater misdirect would be having the people on board say that they're Martians? Hmm. What what greater kind of feeding into the public misinformation uh, could happen here? So you'll notice things didn't go much more east than Michigan. Whether the current political climate in the Spanish-American War de-escalated, whether this technology proved not to be worthy in the situation that involved large bodies of water and performance over that and the project was scrapped, I don't know. Like I said, Thomas Scott Baldwin, 1909, received the first contract. Maybe they decided to de-escalate the development and let the public sector, because everyone had airships right now. We were airship crazy. The whole world was. Maybe it made more fiscal sense to let the layman perfect the technology, then piggyback off their accomplishments with a military contract. Again, this is all just from the cuff here. No, 
I, I don't put any weight in this. This is not history. This is just my speculations. I think you're pretty but, pretty pretty rock solid. I mean, I that's definitely something I can get behind. And, and it's funny you bring up Cuba because that was also brought up in my book as well. Uh, talking about Cuba, and I, I did, kind of threw it away because I realized like, what's the significance of that? But now thinking about it, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And and and, it, and again, like we said, it applies to what's happening in today's world. There's still technology being built, and we see it, and we're like, what the hell is that, you know? But, you know, they they would have thought the exact same thing in 1897 for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you go if you go down the real UFO wormhole, there's lots of reported, and I'm not saying I believe this 100%, but there's a lot of reports of misinformation that, the, I mean, the military, <laughs> in, these, in these kind of uh, tinfoil hat-wearing communities, they very much like to wave the flag of, oh, there's a misinformation agent working for part of the government to help spread the noise yeah. and and whatever truth is and whether that's real or not I don't know whether you invest yourself in the reports of Roswell there's a lot of case studies there that might run parallel to this in this wild scenario but at the same time I think that the whole yellow journalism aspect of these papers and the newspapers reporting this to gain circulation is 100% accurate in some cases but I think what that if, people were seeing something what if what if the newspapers were helping the government in that case it's possible. Yeah. Anything's possible. Yeah. But I just it just seems like in order to maintain a veil of secrecy, and it, the, the fact that this wasn't five or ten people seeing this at any given time, but hundreds and thousands, yeah. and yellow journalism was kind of synonymous for being vague in the details and just real easy stories, people to pick up and just substitute the name of the town. But most of these reports had a lot of details that were that were unique to their own situation, given some of these were crazy about Martians and naked people. <laughs> but there seemed to be a bigger thing going on than just, uh, you know, an, an attempt to, to make up stories yeah. and sell papers. Although I know that was a component, I'm sure. Yeah. So there's a little bit of everything, I think, in this story. And whether whether my kind of scatterbrained thought on, on military black ops testing and development Holds any weight or not? I'm not going to say it does, but I don't know. If you're going to go to, if you are going to go to Cuba, you need some. I mean, balloons were used in the Civil War to gain, you know, just a tactical advantage in seeing more of the battlefield. Hmm. So this idea of using an aerial type balloon based technology wasn't foreign to the military. Um, I think there was a huge lapse in how do we get to where we were trying to go. But at the end of the day, two things confound me, and that is the purported speed that this thing moved when the, the, the most technological trains at the time were only going maybe 40, 50 miles an hour. And you're telling me this lighter-than-air vehicle is going you know, upwards of 70 miles an hour. It's a stretch. Is it impossible? I don't know. Um, and the hydrogen thing, that seems like a big chink in the armor too. But these reports, the quantity of reports and the quality of a lot of these reports make me think that it was something, whether it was a private investor uh, funding this project or whether there was a military hand in it. I think something was over the skies of Quincy in this time period, Chris. Yeah, for sure. And across the United States as well. So that's right. Uh, it, there's a lot more to dive into with this. I'm curious about the black ops. I think we're going to dive more into the black ops. Was 1890s military black ops a thing? I'm curious. I don't know. I yeah. started to Google it, but I didn't get very yeah. far. So we'll see. So we'll dive into that. Also, we're going to talk about an Atchison, Kansas guy that had something else besides just rain dropping out of the sky. So we'll talk about that. We'll get Thomas Edison's thoughts on the airships. Right. And right. there's a Keokuk, Iowa connection to all this we'll talk about coming up in the Patreon episode. 
So make sure to uh, check that out. But this has been a look at the 1897 airship incident in Quincy. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. My friends enjoy all kinds of interesting hobbies like knitting, gardening, and sewing. I'm rather fond of coin collecting myself. But I don't go for quality, I go for quantity. I just love this hobby. I was friendly, yes. Well, Travis, it's uh, not in the Quincy area, but it is something that is quite the good jingle, and that is none other than Catfish Bend. And uh, we have to give a shout-out to Randy Phillips for sending that in for us. Uh, Randy and uh, Marcy are big, uh, big supporters of Wild yeah, Things, quick, if I'm quick, not mistaken. Yeah, quick props to Randy on uh, work with Cahoots with Muddy River News, bringing back the Illinois Stories vibe with, Quince, yeah, with um, that's awesome. Quincy Gems, I believe it's called. Forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. But I love the fact that those there's new stories in production and kudos he's always been a big part of that with uh with mark there the presenter and awesome to see new episodes there yeah i'm super excited i was i watched the first one i think they did the carousel yes yes oh man i don't remember what city was the city of missouri but yeah it's really nice to see those and get that again um it's just yeah it's it's nice to have that that history uh being presented again but uh yeah we want to appreciate it also because he has a long history in in media and was able to pull up some of the stuff so hopefully we'll have some more coming his way Again, the jingle being the big part of it. I was friendliest. Great jingle. I'm going to throw out my one story about Catfish Bend. I was up there probably 15 years ago with a buddy of mine. Uh, We'll just call him Matt. I knew exactly who it was (laughs) before he said the name. We went up there to to, to play. And, you had a big and, big poker era in life, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I, we were pretty hardcore. Uh, I made this bet one time. We played uh, down at. I told Matt we played down at. Uh, I think it was Northside Boat Club, uh, and or whatever the boat club is on the north side of town. And, Rocky Point. <laughs> okay. Rocky okay. Point. Uh, and, and I told him I was like, if I win this, we're going to St. Louis. We're playing down at the casino all night. And guess what? I won. And so we drove to St. Louis and played throughout the night at the tables in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? But anyway. That's the time to have a little fun. Nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Uh, we went up to Burlington one time and played up there, and uh, I, I came out really, really ahead. But we always had this deal. We played on the same table, and we always made the deal. If like one of us made a bet, the other one would bail on it. Well, I made a bet, and Matt raised me on it, and <laughs> one of us should have failed. And I ended up taking him all in because I had a full house. Uh, he was not happy with that. <laughs> I, I, I ended up, when we got to the car, I paid him back. I was like, here's 200 bucks sorry buddy i i didn't want to do it i just couldn't lay down a full house <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah oh, so good times uh, good times with matt there uh but uh yeah Uh, again burlington nice little town actually it's still a really nice casino um they've really done a lot in that area so if you haven't checked it out check it out if you're looking for a little little yeah burlington's great if you're looking for a little day trip yeah absolutely yeah all those iowa towns i I, there's not an iowa town i haven't enjoyed yet we love iowa that's right we're big supporters we're waiting on that tourism money to come in for our our advertising (laughs) dollars uh so uh, yeah that's a look at uh the uh throwback ad and again like you mentioned and we mentioned before 
if uh, you uh, have any of uh, those you want to send to us like uh, Randy did, uh, you can always give us an email at uh, wildquincy at gmail.com. Send us a link. And uh, if it's especially it's on you know YouTube or something like that, we'll be able to grab it off of there. Should we go to the Golden Pipes? We need some Golden Pipes. All right, let's do it. And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. Uh, thanks, Bo. I haven't uh, thanked Bo for a while for that. Uh, thanks for those uh, lovely pies. So it's time for the folklore. It's time to get the wisdom and the wit of our forefathers and foremothers of Adams County. And uh, Travis, for this one, I had to do some searching. I, I, luckily, I have a digital version. I'm able to do some you know, control finds. And I looked up sky for this one. Okay. What did okay. you find above your head? Got two. One of them is kind of uh, has to do with the sky. The other one is got the word sky in it, but it is not about sky. That counts on a technicality. Uh, we're going to make it work. All right. So here's the first one. It is 10,371. It's a little bit of a story. About a month ago, I went to my kitchen door and saw a light in the heaven. I never did see anything like this before. It looked like heaven was on fire. I called someone to show them the heaven, but they could not see it. I believe now it was a token for my niece's house over in Missouri that got on fire last week. Something went wrong with the stove and it blew up and my and blew my niece right out of the door Good on fire. Lord. She is still sick from her burns and four others are hurt. So kind of a crazy story. Blew her out of the house, Chris. Yeah. Stoves, man. Uh, So we'll go from one. And I I don't even know how to transition. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the number and we'll just go from there. It's 10,314. And here it is. It is a sign of bad luck if a horse in a funeral procession becomes frisky. Words of wisdom from Adams County. I couldn't transition that very easy. I'm sorry. So it's bad luck. What was it? It's a sign of bad luck if a horse in a funeral procession becomes frisky. Define frisky. (laughs) I mean, it's not like a dog. I mean, is it... Is it, I mean, what's it doing to be frisky? Oh, you know what? It's probably not what it's doing. It's what it's protruding. Its body's doing. Yeah. Certain oh, my appendage. gosh. <laughs> we're going down, we're going down a path. I mean, um, God love Adams County. Oh, that geez. is awkward. Gotta that love is, this stuff. You know, that a lot of kids have a lot of questions when they see odd things. <laughs> like, have you had to go down that pathway? What is that, daddy? Like, how come that doggy's oh got a tube of lipstick? Yeah, it's 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 that's not right. Get get me let's, out of here, Chris. Get yeah, us out please of here. let's move on. Let's do question of the day. Get this thing wrapped up. Uh, here it is. Obviously, Quincy is known to being the Gym City, but uh, what was it referred to as before the Gym City? Was it the Model City, the River City, the City on the Bluff, or has it always been known as the Gym City? Travis, your thoughts. I saw a headline recently, which I'm thinking you probably saw the same one by that grin on your face. <laughs> and I think it was, I remember seeing Gem City slash Model City. And I took a mental note of that thinking, I need to look into that. I'm going to say Model City. All right. Well, you would be correct. I've it is the Model City. myself after weeks yes. of, of slumming in the gutters of Wrongsville. So I was I was searching and searching for a question of the day, and I was running out of time. And just by incident, I came across. You knew you grew up in Quincy, <laughs> yep. and somebody made a post, and I went, "Oop, there's my question." What, do we of the know? Day. Do we know anything about Model City? Did you do any digging in there? 
No, I didn't get really a chance to get into it. But I did find this is kind of cool. Uh, one of the people in the post said, legend has it that Samuel Clemens described the city north of Hannibal uh, to be a gem of a city. Oh, okay. Interesting. I hadn't so heard that. That's, yeah, that's kind of cool. I've never heard that story. Quincy so, never but, never gets any Sam Sam Clemens love, you know? No, you would think there would be something he in didn't, there. You think it, he had to have made it up here more than once, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. No, That's interesting. We didn't look yeah. into that. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, um, Jim City used to be Model City. I, I think it had something to do with John Wood. Somebody with John Wood said, boy, that would be a model of a city. You know, I've, I've like heard that. that after, you know, after, you know, kind of going in financial ruin on the octagonal mansion, he constructed an actual model of Quincy in the basement of oh, his cool. other house, and he would often pretend to be Godzilla and stomp around. <laughs> <laughs> these are lies. These are lies. The, the front of it sounded yeah, so good. No, this is not true. But boy, didn't that have been something? Yeah, it's nineteen. It's eighteen nineties black ops all over. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so obviously, uh, Quincy is uh, the town that we love. We spend many episodes talking about it. If I do my math right, we just spent forty nine episodes doing it. 49. So that would mean one thing. 49 have passed, you mean. That's a yes. big episode coming up next. Yes, it is the 50th episode of Wild Quincy. Holy cow, can you believe it? Are we going to get some parfait? Yeah. I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. We need to, we need to have a, a gathering. Maybe we should do this in person and grab a bunch of food and just make it Quincy-centric eating Ooh, and, and sit of, down with a special guest. a lot guest. of organization in two weeks, Chris. I don't know how we can pull that off. <laughs> Well, either way, it is going to be a surprise. We're going to have a surprise okay. guest, it's be a fun. former guest that has been here many times. We'll have uh, that person back to rein in uh, the halfway point to uh, the century mark for us. And uh, yeah, big episode 50 of Wild Quincy coming your way in two weeks. Uh, before we wrap up things for this episode, for episode 49, Travis, is there anything we're missing? Just a reminder to everybody, we want to hear your stories. We want to hear your what we're calling wild files. This could be a story of the weird, the wonderful, the wild things in your family of interesting history, things you objects you might have of interesting history, even weird things you found moving into your house. If it's weird, wild or wonderful or otherwise, let us know about it at uh, wildquincy at gmail.com. We're trying to build an a repository of cool stories we can talk about in the off season between seasons to make sure more wild Quincy makes it to your ears. So help us help you get more wild Quincy to you. We will uh, be having those wild files and probably some Crowley stuff as well coming up at the end of this season. Absolutely. That's that's looking like what it's going to shake out to be. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have that coming up for you later on this year. But for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters. You've been listening to wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.